Welcome to another episode in our limited series, The 12 Days of White Christmas. Over the course of 12 episodes, we have broken down the 1954 holiday classic, White Christmas, the songs, the scenes, everything else that makes this movie a family favorite. I'm Roger. I'm Marcy. And in case uh, you are worried that there's something wrong with your audio player or something like that, it's not you, it's me. I'm going to be playing her today. I've been sick for the last three days, but it's December 23rd as we speak. And if we don't record this tonight, Marcy, it's not going to come out tomorrow. We're not going to give people the Christmas gift that they so richly deserve. So we're going to soldier on through. I'm really excited to spend this time with you, my favorite co-host. Oh, thank you. The person that I enjoy talking about White Christmas with the most. That's nice. This is episode 12. This is it. We've come to the end. Um, it begins at about one hour and 48 minutes when the big finale begins. And it runs until two hours flat when we see the end. We've got a lot of stuff to do in this episode, Marcy. We have three songs to talk about. We've got yeah. a slam bang finish to go through. Um, we're going to find out the once and for all canonical ranking of the songs of White Christmas. Um, and I have some kind of some concluding questions for you to answer and me too, just about this, this whole experience. So sounds great. I guess, I mean, I guess before we get to our first song, which is going to be the reprise of the old man, um, uh, <laughs> did you enjoy the fact that we get sort of peak, peak blue hair in this chapter? <laughs> yes. It's very blue. Uh, what do you think that is? I mean, just, these were two very different, settings i think the first last time we talked about this was chapter two yeah in the in the lobby of the columbia inn this is the do you think it's it's got to be the hair right well yeah i don't know there's something particular about his hair there's a couple of gentlemen who have hats on when they when he walks down the aisle and they have gray hair coming out from underneath their hats but i i think the overall head of gray hair for some reason reads blue on the screen well, I and think oh, sorry, it's very God. different lighting too because in the lobby it was more like a bright natural light and here it's definitely more like i don't know darker yeah well i mean first and foremost there's actually a spotlight i mean how great is that when you get to enter into your own surprise party and there's a spotlight right Maybe. i don't know who's in charge of like running that spotlight but i do think like the brighter and more intense the downward pointing light the bluer Dean Jagger's hair turns. Yeah. So that's my sense. Marcy, I got a quick question for you. Yep. So, so general Waverly walks down the stairs. I'm going to skip over sort of the continuity issues between Susan and Emma walking forward and walking backwards. He's joined by this dude who walks in front of him. Do you think that is the same? Is the, is that his secretary helper from chapter one? Yeah, that's okay. his. Is it an XO? His executive officer? It could very well could be. I uh, only know that term from reading The Expanse. So, And I only know that term as it pertains to ships. Oh. But you know what? You've done the research tonight. That's the kind of knowledge that you bring to the podcast, and I appreciate that. It could be. Uh, yes. You know, it could also be, sometimes I've heard this term, a, a chief of staff. Oh, um, yeah. Sort of like the person, kind of like Leo McGarry in the West Wing, except for a general yeah. who's got a lot of people to command. You got a dude who like handles all the paperwork. It's so great that General Waverly is wearing his uniform. 
it's really you know, helpful that they all the hijinks, that. all the hijinks got him into this very appropriate outfit for his evening. If only he had come down wearing his bathrobe. I wonder what that would have been like. <laughs> um, it's pretty amazing to have a cake with a tank on top. I don't know that I've ever seen that. You know, I've, I don't think I even have ever noticed that, Roger. That Is it the little white thing on the top of the tank? Yeah, well, it's Oh, not, my God. It's not, General Roger. Wa- it's not General Waverly, like, holding hands with Emma Allen. No, it's like their division tank. It's a tank. That's special. It's always been so surprising to me, the size of this cake, and that they put General Waverly directly behind it. I noticed that, too. <laughs> yeah, it's that's... like the... The biggest blocker of the stage. That's and bad. That's some bad staff work right there. Other than the cake, that's the only thing in his way to be able to see and enjoy the show fully. I noticed that too. Um, tell you what, before we get to the whole little cake ceremony, um, which kind of combines with General Waverly's amusing little monologue, um, we've got a song to do. This is our reprise of The Old Man. And I mean, we talked about this a lot in chapter one. So, I just have a couple of notes, and then I'm curious to hear what you said. Unlike the last one, the biggest thing I noticed about this song is, like, the precision marching. These people are, like, trained marching people. (laughs) Marching people. Well, I mean, I I don't think they're soldiers. They are. They were in the infantry, Roger. I see. These are actors. No, no, no. Roger. But they're playing men that were in the army. Oh, I see. So you're saying within the universe of the movie, it's not surprising that they can march that well. No, because these are all the men that have come up to support General Waverly from the unit. I understand. I'm saying I'm breaking the fourth wall here. I'm saying it's probably not easy to march like soldiers, and I'm impressed that they're able to do it so well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. But I will also point out, and I don't know if you noticed this, as soon as they get to the end of their column, there are quite a few of them that don't seem to know what to do with their hands. Oh, they're still marching hands, aren't they? Yes, some of them are standing in place and still marching with their hands. Yeah. I always like the part where they're like four abreast and they are able to open up that the four people into being on parallel lines perpendicular. Precision marching. It's precision marching, Roger. I've also really always been impressed with um, the expandability of the room. I mean, again, we have a place where the room seems too small for what looks like about 100 men who are going to then sit down at tables with all of their guests or whatever and it just like seems like a tremendous amount of people for the space. Plus, there still has to be enough room for a full stage with yeah. a stage show. Yeah. So let me just just to kind of revisit my point before, which I think you were poking fun at. This movie was made less than 10 years after the end of World War II. These people are all extras. Do you think maybe they put out a casting call for veterans and the hopes that they could get people who they didn't have to teach how to march? Possibly. Do you think it's super hard to learn how to march yes just like the timing in of it and everything i mean I you if rem- you had a bunch of bunch of dancers like and if you had like dancers in your crew that have been performing mandy 
Yeah, but there's about 20, there's about 30 people on the stage for Mandy. And as you point out, there's at least five times that many people here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any other notes about this song before we rate it? Nope. Do you remember what you gave it the first time around? I feel like I might've given it around a two. I'm not going to tell you. So you have to rate this version of the old man. Oh, geez. Well, I'm going to give it a little bit higher than a two this time because this one is definitely very full of emotion. It was full of emotion on the other, on the other end, but I feel like you really get a lot of general Waverly um, and his feelings in this one. And I think that counts for a lot. So I will give it a three and a half. Three and a half. Well, guess what? The last time you rated the song, you gave it a one. Oh, really? This is your most hate. Well, other than the high up montage, this was your oh, most I hated hate song. That. Yeah. I'm going to give this song. I, I actually, well, I like it. Okay. About as much as the last one. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Last time I gave it a three and a half. Um, those two scores. average. You'd like out it two. less this time. It's fine. I mean, let me put it this way. I don't think it improves on the original. Maybe I'll give it a 3.5. I like it just as much as the original for different reasons. Okay. So with two three and a halves, that's pretty easy to figure out. That averages out to a three and a half. And we will give our listeners a uh, ranking from highest to lowest of all the songs um, that we've rated, including we've got two more to come. Roger, what do you think about this Um technique that this movie uses where they have the same song used sometimes twice or multiple times within the same movie where you either have an instrumental version or in this case you have the you know timeline version where we're going from the front to supporting general waverly later do you like that i mean i do so if you ask me if i like it i do if you ask me why they do it i mean i think I think that is a very common technique for stage musicals. And this is about oh, as close yeah. to a stage musical as you get. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's why they're doing it. I think they're playing with sort of tropes of the of the stage and, you know, to a lesser extent, the screen as well. I really like um, when they're using the buttermilk and the buttermilk song. Liverwurst and buttermilk. Count your yeah. blessings. Count Your Blessings song, um, and they use that at a time where, like, um, it's just instrumental, and you can tell that there's a lot of feelings about being hurt between the two of them. That's what they play during that um, kind of second breakup scene in the Carousel Club, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we get this, this little speech by General Waverly. This is his second big speech of the movie. In in some ways, they're very similar, right? He gave a speech a lot like this. At the front. Um, Are you aware of what Anzio means? No. Because he does say in this, in this section, you know, those of you, you may think that because you were at Anzio, you don't have to wear a necktie. So Mm -hmm. um, Anzio was the allied campaign to capture Italy. Mm -hmm. And so presumably, you know, that was one of the first, uh, I'm guessing that was one of the first expeditions for the 151st, even before D-Day. So that's Anzio. Um, what else? What are my other notes here? It's fun that it's fun that Phil kind of has to line up with the rank and file because he's just a private. Yeah. How would you feel about walking down the center of a line where 
everybody wants to shake your hand and you're not exactly sure how to do that. I feel like, you know, sometimes he grabs a couple hands, you know, he tries to like reach out on both sides at one point. It just seems like an awkward situation. Well, I mean, I think, I think he's probably, I think it, it fits with the scene. He's probably overwhelmed by the emotion of what's happening to him right now. And, you know, his, his brain is probably, kind of having a little meltdown right now. So I think it's trying to do all the things. Yeah. I think it's amusing that they need a bugler to tell us that it's time to blow out the candles. Yep. Um, And it takes general Waverly three tries. I don't know. That's pretty good for a man of his age. Well, their candles are, they're not easily got to, they've got a tank in the way. And that brings us up to what I know is one of our favorite songs of the movie, which is gee, I wish I was back in the army. Mm-hmm. which is sung by uh, our our quartet. It's been a while. When was the last time we had a song with all four people? Mm. Um, was it Snow? Oh, wow. That's way earlier. Has there been a song? Fe- oh, well, Mandy. Mandy. I guess it's Mandy. Um, so this is Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, Trudy Stevens, The Usual Suspects. I have a lot of sort of contextual notes. Um, oh, cool. Do you want to just tell me... Before we get into the kind of details, you want to just kind of give me your initial hot take on this song? I always have loved this song, and I don't remember when I think about it much of the beginning of the song, but I always remember the suits at the end. <laughs> yeah, and like we'll talk, we'll talk about those. How funny they look. I want to talk um, about those in detail. Yeah, but, you know, this is where we've got our our whole crew coming back together and Bob sees Betty for the first time. Shocking she, reveal. She kind of like comes in slyly and he's got the big surprise look on his face and she just kind of like comes back in. It's nice. So this song probably has the most lyrics of any song and I have a lot of notes about them. So let me just hit you with a couple of them. Okay. Um, so, you know, first off we get this and, you know, it's, it's of its time. So I don't have any issue with this, but there's a whole long section about sort of what it's like to be a woman, a woman in the army. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, wouldn't that be great? You can just pick out who you want to have. It's kind of like come out age, weight, size, um, and just decide there's so many men that you could pick from. That sounds fantastic. Are you familiar at all with the wax? Um, women auxiliary. Close. Is that right? No, you're close. So, uh, you know, cause, um, the, the ladies sing about the wax, uh, the, is it the gals who dressed in slacks, something like that. Yeah. So whack is short for the women's army corps. And essentially it was a division of the army created to allow women to serve the military, not in combat. Obviously that wouldn't come for decades, but essentially these women took on a lot of the frankly kind of drudgery that, you know, normally you would have to delegate men to do like secretarial work and cooking work. And uh, in some cases, um, the, they were set to be, um, repair people, which, you know, Marcy, guess what? This is my first Foils War reference of the podcast. What? Do you remember how, honey, do you remember how Sam yes. was a trained auto mechanic? Yes. So if she were an American and she was in the WAC, she could have been an auto mechanic. 
This is like um, the Rosie the Riveter campaign, right? Yeah, I mean, not so much. Like, Rosie the Riveter was just like, hey, we need women to take up all the jobs so that the guys can go overseas and get shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, the women who are in the wax are doing their part as well. But Rosie the Riveter meant, you know, we want women to go into the factories. We want women to, you know, work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit bigger than that. But, yeah, you're on the right track. Um you know, and I tried to do a little bit of research to see how common it was for women in the whack to, um, you know, to get hooked up with the oh. men who are in service. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was that was generally condoned. So I'm not quite sure what they're talking about here. Maybe there was a lot of sort of, shall we say, under the table stuff that was going on until after the end of the war. But mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that that was not officially sanctioned. All right. Uh, what else? What's the next thing? Um, they mention Dietrich and Cornell. Um, Dietrich, of the two, I'm guessing Dietrich is probably the one that you had a better chance of recognizing. Um, these are two very famous female actresses of the time, um, both from the silver screen era. The first one is Marlena Dietrich, who was an, a screen actor. And the second one is uh, a woman named Catherine Cornell who was arguably one of the most famous stage actresses of the time. And they were both very popular on all the USO tours that would come out to, you know, visit these guys when they were at the front. So that's where those women come from. Sorry. And last note, uh, before we get to our giant fat standees, um, did you know, so the, the actual, so there's this line, did you hear this line about uh, Jolson Hope and Benny all for free? Yes. That's not the actual line. I'm pretty sure that this song predates the movie. And my argument for that is because of the fact I'm about to tell you, the original line is Crosby, Hope, and Jolson all for free. Oh. But they thought, you know, that would be kind of weird if we sing a song about a person who's actually in the movie. Oh, yeah. So they changed it just for the movie. Huh, that's so that was uh, that was um, who is that? Uh, I guess Benny Goodman um, makes his triumphant appearance in this movie to to sub for Bing Crosby. Hmm. Okay, so we have some some very large people that we need to talk about. So my question <laughs> for you, Marcy, since I've been prattling on in my crypt keeper voice of the four, I think I can't tell if they're men or women. Do you think the women There's are standing two. in front of women and the men are standing in front of men? Yes, the one on the far left is a woman holding a baby in her arm. Oh, is that a baby? It's a baby she's cradling in her arm. It looks That's really disturbing. awful, like it's decaying or something. She looks like she she looks like she could be cradling a puppy. And it, she's got that weird black thing towards the ground. What is that, do you think? I'm not entirely sure. Is it a sure. shopping bag, maybe? It's the other not... gal looks like she's got a shopping bag. Oh, yeah. And, and then, then we've got the first man. Oh, he appears to be a, tools. I think the, I think that is a trowel and a hammer. And then we have an obvious butcher on the side. So my question for you is out of the four of those, the disturbing mom, the gardener, the happy, <laughs> happy the happy housewife and the butcher, who's your favorite? I've always loved the butcher. I mean, those sausages are epic right there. And I think and the, the cleaver. massive and the, cleaver. Don't sleep on the cleaver. I'm just glad that they didn't have like a bloody apron because um, a lot of butchers are having like a lot of blood on them. This, this movie, it's th- classy. There's, there's no blood in this movie. 
No. Which one would you want to be, Roger? Would you want well, the decaying baby? That wasn't my question. My question was, which one is your favorite? All right. Which one's your favorite? Oh, it's got to be the, the, the weird baby. Oh, really? Now that you know it's a baby? I think I knew that it was a baby, but it does look profoundly strange. <laughs> it's also fun that all of them simultaneously have their fancy hats to wear. Now, Marcy, how many of these would count as fascinators? None fascinators. They're not really? small enough. No, Damn. they're all just little hats. I'm going to get always, it right. I'm going to get it right eventually. My favorite part of this whole thing is the tap dance that they do underneath and I wish it lasted so much longer. It is very strange the way that their feet move yes. beneath the rest of their body and their body doesn't move. Yes, I really love that. It's very strange. Um it's and it you know it, this is a great song. I mean, like from beginning to end, it's a great song. It's well danced. Mm -hmm. I, I love this song. Um, yeah, it's very cute. Do you have anything else before we rate it? Nope. All right. Well, as always, ladies first, how would you rate, gee, I wish I was back in the army? I'd give this a five. I've always loved it. And you know what? For the very first time ever, I will join you. This is my one and what? only five. And so again, we are, we are, melded with our minds this is a a 5.0 which i'm gonna go out on a limb i'm just guessing that's gonna be the top rated song wow um, much like some of my students they expect and demand perfection this is the only song that has actually achieved that but we'll see mm -hmm. okay and then i mean the whole rest of this chapter is sort of just like the setup for the big finale which is our reprise of white christmas I don't have a whole lot about this like little scene between Bing Crosby and these little waifin or elfin uh, singers and ballet dancers. Um, I do have a question for you. Um, do you think so? There's this part where Bing Crosby incorrectly calls, you know, one of the kids, whatever. And he's like, I, you know, it's like, no, I'm that kid. Do you think that was, uh, do you think that mistake was ad libbed? I do, I th but it's very sweet. It just seems like a little bit of a funny mistake. Do you think it is? Um, I would believe either way. I mean, I think that takes a lot of chutzpah on the part of a child actor to come back oh, like yeah, right, right over the top and dunk on Bing Crosby and say, you know, that's me. But I but can kids also... kids are like that kids sometimes. Are, kids are like that. And I could definitely see them do that. So for sure. What do you think about when General Waverly is sitting at the table and his, let's call him the XO, comes to tell them, tell him that it's snowing and everybody starts finding out that there's snow out there? Well, I do have a thought for you about snow. Do you remember what our guest uh, uh, Emma Wynn told us about the snow when we were doing chapter six? No. So. Oh, that's potato flakes. No, no. Oh, asbestos. Yes. So my note is, gosh, I hope these people are not contracting low-level asbestos poisoning right now. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's cute that they are pulling a fake sleigh through fake snow. Do you think that that they really opened up a door to an outside set, and that's real, or is that a, a movie screen? Oh, I think that's. Oh, you know what? That's a good question. I've always thought that it it might be kind of real in the first reveal, but at the end, it looks so fake that well, I've always thought yeah, it was so, a movie screen back there. So I'm going to agree with you on both accounts. I think the scene where 
Bob and Phil pull the doors open is absolutely real because it it perfectly matches as a reverse shot the outdoor scene that we've seen at the Columbia Inn. Like you can see the sleigh, it comes right. over the bridge, it comes around the loop in front of the barn. Yeah. But I do think at the very end, you know, at the end of our song, that's totally fake. That end of the song, the the opening is seems much wider and bigger to me than it was just then when Bob and Phil opened the doors. I think we might have to just chalk this up to a little bit of movie magic, Marcy. Movie magic again. Which brings us to our last song. We've made it. I can't believe I can't believe I've made it this far tonight. But wow, you're doing great. We've made it to our um, reprise of White Christmas um, as we have begun. So we shall end. Um, this time, this is a very different version of White Christmas. I have been told that this version was recorded specifically for the movie, which makes sense because it includes, again, our four main singers. Yep. Um, I will only note, and this has nothing to do with the music of this song, that it I don't know how a, a ballet dancer dances on point. Honestly, that seems like the most painful thing to do. Well... Funny you should mention that because I was thinking about that as well. And I don't really know that much about it, um, except for some very quick research and what Lisa told me about how her girls um, dance on point. So a lot of it has to do with proper alignment over your body and making sure that like your feet with your toes down into those shoes are in line through your hips and your spine and, and your skull. So like, there's like this, I think with all ballet, there's a big deal about how you're holding your body. And when you're on point, it's even more so because you have to be balanced over such a small part of your bone structure. And then there's very particular shoes that you have to wear that have a little toe box and I think a minor amount of cushioning, but you're really like on top of your toes in those toe shoes. Well, as someone who is married to someone who has experienced a considerable amount of toe pain, I got to imagine, let me put it this way. If I had to dance on point, I think my feet would look like your feet did when you showed me that x-ray. Yeah. Where those think, toes are like literally crushed. I think there's some people that they're, bone structure and musculature can allow for it. And then there's others that just cannot like some people's bodies cannot. And I mean, it's also, you know, it's worth pointing out that this little girl in this white tutu probably weighs about 45 pounds. Yeah. And the Lisa's girls were starting to do point maybe last year. So they would have been much older than this girl. Um, but you know, this kind of thing that like, I think if you, are a small person, slight of frame, you're still going to put a lot of pressure on your toes, but it might not be as bad. We should go ask Emma, who, who is... She probably had to be on point. She is in excellent shape, but no one would ever call her small. No. Um, how, how big she was when she was last on point. If she was on point as an adult ballet dancer, God bless She's her. She's six feet tall. My goodness. That's a lot of... Uh, that's more pounds cool. than this to put on you know, eight toes, 10 toes. toes. Yeah. I've always been very charmed by the little dancers and also like so impressed with their precision. And then this little like 
scenery that they make out of each other. Like they all wind up figuring out a way to sit down and then kind of hold as still as possible. Um, they're really charming little people. I'm going to sound like a monster right now. I think this whole ballet section is dumb. Oh, really? Yeah, I would oh. cut it all out. I've always thought it was very cute. I don't understand why this is here. Well, I don't know. It's creating this epic frame. You're right. But I, I do mean... think it's a little silly. Like, um, you know, the two Santa boys in the front are creating a little seat for the little girl to sit on. And But I've it always is, thought it, it was is... cute. I've always been very, um, like, I really wanted to learn ballet, but I started too late. And then I just emotionally couldn't handle it because... I was large and clunky, and the little ballet girls that were there were tiny and very good. And mm -hmm. so I tried it one day, and then I stopped. So this is kind but of trigger. This is kind of triggering for you. I would not say it triggering. I've just always found I know, I know. ballet very charming, and like I've want I wanted to do it at one point in my life. But well, you, um, you know, Marcy, it's never too late to learn. I think it might be on that for me. <laughs> But we could do, I mean, you and I have fun doing other types of dance. I don't feel like I need to be a ballerina at all. Well, if you want to do more dancing on the tips of your toes, then we I should definitely. crushed toe. I think there are lots of dances we could do that involve a lot of intense toe tapping. Like, say, the tango. Anytime, Maybe. You, anytime you want to commit yourself to learning the passe doble with me, I'm there for you. Maybe we could just learn a few more dance, swing dance moves and call it a day. Yeah, but if we could learn the passe doble. Uh, okay. I don't think we would ever get a chance to show it to anyone, but we would, but know, we would know how to that do it's it. there. That we would know it's there. <laughs> we can't skip past one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. We've referenced it on almost every podcast. Um, and I wrote down, so I don't know if you're going to get this joke, but I wrote down in my bullet list. I said, she gave him the charger. Um, and I'm connecting that to. <laughs> what? That's actually not that funny. So in my mind, when I, when I say that phrase, I actually connect it to the episode of The West Wing, where President Bartlett gives his Paul Revere knife to Charlie. And I, rem I remember <laughs> on that episode, they said, he gave him the knife. It, it's like that's shorthand. Yes. That's shorthand for me for like this gift giving is overwhelming and it radically transforms the way that you feel about someone. I just love this. He gets his charger and throws it right into the tree. <laughs> yeah. Which would you be more happy to receive, Roger? A horse statue or a kiss? Oh, definitely a kiss. Oh, all right. From the woman I love. Are you kidding me? That tells me that our romance is back on and it will last forever instead of some stupid toy. But but she wrapped it in gold. Well, not for nothing, but it's also a, a kiss from Rosemary Clooney, who, you know, I'm not going to lie, she's she's pretty babelicious. Really? You think so? You don't think she's attractive? Oh, I think she's pretty. I don't know. I, I have a hard time sometimes getting past the hair. I don't. <laughs> Okay. And he says, welcome to the family. Yeah, well, and, which is kind of a weird joke. And now, like, is is the um, the other romance right on? Are they together now? 
But we know that it is because Danny Kay executes what I have written down as maybe the mo- most awkward kissing scene in the history of cinema. He spins her 360. Okay, let me ask you a question, Marcy. Which would you rather receive, a statue of a horse or a pirouetting deep, uh, dipping kiss? Well, I don't. I don't do well with the dizziness and also the dips. Um, so I don't think I'd like either one of those. Yeah, but which one, Marcy? I w- Pick. <laughs> da- damn you. <laughs> I think if I was um, happy, to, I would pick the kiss. There you go. <laughs> I just wouldn't want to be spun. Well, don't you worry about that. We've just been, we haven't actually been talking about the song. How do you, I mean, the obvious question is, how do you like this version of White Christmas compared to the one from the beginning of the movie? Um. Well, I did rank the one at the beginning of the movie pretty high because I love the charm of the little box, the little um, wind-up box that they're using. And that's why you rated it high? Yeah, I think it's very, it's a very nice song to sing in a sad tone. And I think when they're in the, the front and they're missing their families, it really brings home like how much they're missing Christmas with their families. And it's very slow and melancholy. And I like that. Um, I think generally my preference for kind of upbeat poppy Christmas songs um, reigns true. I do like this version of White Christmas, but it's, again, not my favorite type of Christmas song. Do you have any other notes about this song before we read it? (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, I do. I did a little bit of um, internet research. Did you find out that they actually reshot this scene, like pretended to reshoot this scene? This is such a great story. You have to tell this story for the listeners. Well, I know a little bit about it. But they were saying in the article that I was reading that it was pretty frequent that royalty and other special guests would come to the shooting set for this movie and that they it would kind of halt production or whatever. But they had um, already shot and wrapped the final scene. And then the a couple of the royal family from Greece showed up and they thought, oh, it would be great to... Um, show them the final scene because it's such an epic um, scene again. And so they set up to shoot it again, but Bing Crosby refused to come to the set and instead went off to the pool. And so our other three people pretended to shoot the scene again. And they went through the whole thing with Bing Crosby's voice, but no Bing Crosby. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. And I wonder what it must have been like. I'm assuming when they said they reshot the whole scene, that includes our little pixie dancers and everybody. Um, probably not like the guys in uniform and people like that. Do you um, think it must have been just like minutes or hours after they wrapped the original? Like, how would they get all those people back? Yeah, that's a good point. Probably. Um, I have one more piece of... Um, Uh, One more fantastic nugget to add to your story, which is a great story. Thank you for bringing that to our our final episode. Not only did they shoot this final scene without Bing Crosby, they shot it without any film in the camera. Oh, funny. Like, they literally were putting on a performance for these people, and it was all fake. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, for the king and queen of Greece, which is very strange. All right, well... 
for the last time. And then I will do a little bit of um, amazing arithmetic or Google Sheets will do that for me. And then we'll give you our canonical list. How would you rate this reprise of White Christmas on a scale from zero to five chargers? Well, I do think it's sweeping and swelling. So I like that quite a bit. Um, I would say I would give it a four because I like the... I like the little pixie dancers. Well, um, I like this version much better than the original. I still would oh, you say mean the one at the front. Yeah, it's both the, at the front and it's in the front. Um, I like this song much better than the original, but that doesn't mean that I like it very much. I've always thought that White Christmas is kind of a lame song. These pixie dancers are a minus for this song for me. So I'm going to give it a three, which is actually an upgrade over what I gave the original version, but mm. it's still not very good. And with a three from me and a four from you, that is our second three and a half of, of the night. Um, I guess I'll have to come up with some sort of tiebreaker. And that's it. Those are all the songs. Are you ready for the big reveal, Marcy? Sure. The canonical can never be challenged because we did it first. Listing of the best songs of White Christmas. All right. Well, are you starting from the bottom? Do you think I should start from the bottom or the top? The bottom. Okay. Well, that's a very negative way to go, but I appreciate that. Well, you're building up to something awesome. So that's fair. Okay, Marcy. Well, as you have asked to go from worst to first, um, which I think is it's certainly one of the two options we could have chosen. Um, there are a couple of places along the way here where we have sort of log jam with duplicate scores. And I will Ooh. just exercise my dictatorial editor privilege to wow. rank them myself. All right. Um, so coming in at the bottom, the very worst song of White Christmas is Minstrel Show with an average score of one. Tied with that is your high up blue skies montage, which also scored a one. Mm hmm. Those are very clearly the worst songs in the whole movie because <laughs> they are more than a full point below anything else. Wow. All right. Coming in in our next highest place with a score of 2.25 is, uh, and this is this is Bad Job by You, is our first version of The Old Man, which um, you gave a one to. So this is all your fault. Yeah. Uh, the next song above that is What Can You Do With a General, which scored a 2.5. Uh, then we have Count Your Blessings. I don't know that I would have predicted that was going to be in the bottom third, but that average mm -hmm. is a 2.88 out of five chargers. Wow. And then, uh, again, I think this is kind of a shock. The sixth lowest song in this movie is the first version of Sisters by the Ladies, which scored only a 3.13. Hmm. All right, and now um, we have two songs that are tied for uh, tied with a score of 3.33. So I will exercise my editorial judgment and tell you that the next song, uh, the next song is Mandy, which averages a 3.33. Um, and I will base that um, partly to make you happy and partly because I guess I'll just use as a tiebreaker the highest score that that song received. So... The other score tied at this mark is choreography, <laughs> which did not, dis despite your incredibly duplicitous 4.5, <laughs> still does not rank in the top half of the Songs of White. Oh. Yeah. All right, here we go. So now, 
now we've got now we're getting to the good stuff so in the in our top half these are the top eight songs of white christmas and we have three songs that are tied with a 3.5 two of which came up tonight and so i'm going to say that the next song is a reprise of the old man followed closely on the heels this is weird i promise you listeners we did not plan it this way both versions of white christmas score an average of 3.5 chargers wild the difference is huh? you you gave a 5 to the first version and a 3.5 to the second version and i was much more uh, separate there okay then the next one so here we are this is song number 6 uh well it's six from the top now. So these rankings now are, are from the top. And this is criminally low, but it's where it is, um, is Snow with an average score of 3.67. Hmm. Followed closely and higher rated than Snow is Love You Didn't Do Right By Me. Oh, man. That's just wrong. With a 4.17, it is the fifth favorite song in White Christmas. All right. Looking at our final four, we actually have two songs tied at a 4.33. I'm going to say that our fourth-rated song is The Reprise of Sisters uh, by The Menfolk. Um, you know, it's pretty short, and um, it's funny, but I don't think it is nearly as impressive as our third favorite song, which isn't even a song at all. It's our instrumental version of Abraham. But I think, I mean, I don't think you can argue that that uh, that that isn't the best dance number in the whole movie. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So our second favorite song, which I kind of was rooting to become the most favorite song, but I think this is a fair assessment, is The Best Things Happen When You're Dancing. Oh, yay. Um, which I think we very fairly gave a score of 4.75, which, you know, spoiler alert, I don't care what the students tell you, that's a really good grade. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, last but not least, is our score, Gee, I Wish I Was Back in the Army, um, which we both gave a 5. Wow. Um, if I had given it a 4.5, then I guess we would have had a tie at the top. Um, so what do you think about those rankings, Marcy? Tell me a song on this list that turned out to be rated higher than you thought it was going to be. Um, well, I think Love You Didn't Do Right By Me is way higher than what I would have expected because it's kind of a slow and sad song. I mean, you gave it so, you know, we were kind of poking fun at Bentley. You gave it a four and a half. So, yeah, it takes, I mean, it takes two I to like tango it. here. I like that song mostly because I like how weird the men dancers are and how elegant she looks. There's a, I, I think what I've found in this rewatch, Roger, is that. I like the weird dances. Like I like choreography because it's so strange. And I've always liked Love You Didn't Do Right by Me because of these men that pop in and out of the screen. Do you think that your love of weird dances is connected at all to your recent passion for just dance? It's possible. It's very possible. Okay, flip side to this question. Tell me a song that you see on this list near the bottom that you're really surprised kind of got consigned to the dust dustbin of history um uh probably count your blessings because i feel like other people i've heard really like that song a lot more than i do but it seems like generally speaking nobody really loves it that much yeah well i mean yes a lot of people i mean the academy of motion picture arts and sciences love that song so much 
they nominated it for an Oscar, but yeah, we would not have nominated it for an Oscar. That's for no. sure. But that was fun. I'm glad. I'm glad we had a chance to do that. Um, I enjoyed rating all those songs with you. Yeah. Well, Marcy, we're almost done. We this is this has been our longest episode by far, and I think that's fitting because after tonight, there won't really be an opportunity to talk more about White Christmas. Um. So it brings us to our question that we ask at the end of every episode. Who is our drummer drumming of this episode? That's our MVP for this chunk of the movie. Who would you pick, Marcy? I would pick General Waverly because he really has a strong moment and shows a lot of emotions in, um, you know, his seeing of his battalion again. And I think it's a division. If division? You oh, right. Division again. and. Um, you know, how pleased he is to see everybody and overtaken he is with emotion. That's a really solid pick. Um, I feel like I've I've brought you over to my side. Um, have you ever picked General Waverly? I, you know what? If I were a better podcast host, I would have also compiled a list of everybody's MVP oh. choice. So I could have told you who the MVP of the movie was. For our thousands of listeners, and some of whom are clearly very passionate about this movie, if one of you would like to do that and post um, in the review section or on Facebook, I would love to find that out without having to do any of the work. <laughs> but since you had a chance to pick General Waverly, that relieves me of the burden of picking General Waverly. So I'm going to pick that little ballerina. No, I'm just kidding. That's not who I'm going to pick. I didn't think you would do that. That no, would I, be surprising. I was just kidding. Um, I'm going to pick Betty again. Um, I feel like... I think the last time I picked her, picked her, it was because she was, as I think the phrase that I used was a cartoon villain. Oh. Um, and I feel like this is the episode where she really gets a chance to redeem herself, right? She she has that shocking reveal to Bob when they're singing, gee, I wish I were back in the army. And then she she gave, Marcy, she gave him the charger. Mm-hmm. And then she gives him a big, big kiss. Bob gets both of those things. You and Bob would be on the same wavelength because he actually gets both of those gifts. He doesn't have to choose. Um, and, you know, she's involved in, well, two out of the three songs. So mm -hmm. I think I think this is I think this is another chapter where Rosemary Clooney really shines. Yeah, that's great. She also, you know, we didn't point this out. She has some pretty covert ninja skills. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would be able to sneak up behind someone put a fairly awkwardly shaped present into their present sack and then disappear. Yeah. She also, she doesn't have to apologize for her misunderstanding or in any way have any conversation about um, how she jumped to conclusions. Like she doesn't need to have that awkward conversation. She's a very lucky woman. She just well, gets to kind of come back in. Give I mean, a present and get a kiss. Let's be honest. Betty is Betty. I never claimed that she had matured emotionally. I'm just impressed <laughs> that she's back. Yeah. All right. Well, those are good picks. Um, I have a few kind of concluding thoughts, which are really questions for us to talk about. And then we'll put this episode to bed and put this series to bed. Um, so I did say we were going to, maybe crowd surface, but if you had to pick one person as being your MVP of the whole movie, who would you pick and why? Um, I would pick Vera Allen because I just really love her dancing. Really? Yeah. And although she's not like 
super actress or anything like that. Um, I really have always been, like I said, like super charmed by her dancing and um, really interested with the way that she's able to move her body. I just always really love that. What about you? I mean, I do not deny that she is an amazing dancer, but we've already established that she doesn't sing. And you have sort of just cast aspersions on her acting ability. Although I think she has some nice scenes, for example, with with Danny Kay. Um, I'm going to pick Danny, Danny Kay. I feel like, you know, like a, like a, they say a five tool player in baseball. Mm -hmm. Danny Kay does everything in this movie. He can be serious. He can be funny. He can sing He can dance. He does it all. And so I really think, and you know, plus along with Fear Ellen, he is basically, um, you know, he's, he's Mr. Plot. Like he's the reason why Mm -hmm. almost everything that happens in this movie happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I definitely think he is, he's my clear choice. Yeah. All right. Next question for you. Tell me a part of the movie that you like better now after we've done the whole podcast. Um, well, I'm going to say you can't pick choreography because I still don't believe you and you've already talked about it. Right. Um, I think I really like the, the times where we're outside of the inn because I feel like I really enjoyed talking about the soundstage and the different places that they kind of like created. And I feel like that is a really charming set piece. And I always kind of like the, the action in different places, but I never really thought like to really look at that set as well as I did after we talked about it. Um, So I like that. Um, Also, I don't know. I just kind of liked learning a little bit more about the actors and, um, you know, their history and what they kind of went on to do. And also, um, you know, thinking about their careers beyond this movie, because I really only ever saw this movie. I didn't really ever get into watching old movies in my life. So it's kind of fun. What do you think, Roger? I think, uh, the part of the movie that I like better now actually is the best things happen when you're dancing. Which I'm not going to lie, when we watch that movie every year, and by the way, it's December 23rd and we haven't watched it yet. Well, you've been sick, so we've been stalling. That's true. I think that might be something we do with your mom tomorrow night. Tomorrow, yeah. Um, You know, when that movie, when that number comes on, I think in the past I've always sort of been like, yeah, okay. But when I actually had to kind of sit and break it down and kind of look at all the different parts and how they go together, um, I like it a lot. Uh, yeah. And I think I, I appreciate it much more as a, as an amazing dance number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, we, we have to be honest. Um, we love this movie, but we're also professional critics. Is there a part of the movie that you don't like as much now after you've spent some time talking about it? Hmm. I wonder if you're going to pick the same thing that I, well, so over the years I have had, um, a, a like a growing dislike for the song Mandy. And I feel like I might like it just a little bit less now than I did before. And I only really don't like a specific part where they got the tambourines with the Mandy face on it. I've always not really liked that, but also I feel like I might not like a minstrel show even more now. Is that the one that you were thinking of? Marcy. 
That's exactly what I was going to say. Both Minstrel Show and Mandy are way less um, satisfying to me now. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I don't want to sort of, I don't want to look at this movie through, you know, 70 year later goggles. But even in 1954, a song called Minstrel Show, followed by a song that derived its origin from another uh, musical where it was designed to be performed in blackface, like that couldn't have aged well and shouldn't have aged well. And based on our conversation with Emma, you know, I don't know why they felt like they needed to put those songs in the movie. Probably because they were recycling all of their work and that they might've been super popular songs. Yeah. But it's not like Irving Berlin's catalog is thin. Yeah. They could have gotten something else. And those two songs literally have no contextual basis for the rest of the movie. Yeah. So, you know, come on, Irv, let's do a little better. Mm. Okay. So here is a more upbeat question. Um, why do you think this movie remains such an enduring holiday classic? Well, I mean, it just has a really feel good ending to it. Um, I think that it has a beauty of, you know, kind of like this dream of uh, a white Christmas where you're cozied and you're around a whole bunch of people that you love and you care about. And I think that tugs at a lot of people. Um, certainly being in New England for the Christmas time is kind of a thing that, you know, being a New Englander seems like the only place you can have Christmas in the proper way. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, but, and I, I think it has like, it has that, um, quality where you've wa- you probably grew up watching it or you watched it with some family member you know and it's so it became part of your family tradition i don't feel like i don't know i don't feel like i've heard a lot of people say as an adult that they just decided that they were going to watch this movie but more so that they grew up watching it so you know that's fair um i have a couple of thoughts about that one very technical thought which is that you know I'm not going to lie. If you ask your Alexa, see, I just got a bunch of people's smart speakers to wake up. If you ask your smart speaker to play holiday classics, you know, I guaranteed if you listen to it for at least an hour, Bing Crosby's version of white Christmas is going to play at some point. Yeah. And so, you know, there aren't a whole lot of movies that are named after Christmas songs. Um, You know, uh, and so until the Hallmark channel, makes a movie called All I Want for Christmas is You, this is probably going to be the one with the most, like, pop culture traction. Mm. Um, But, you know, I think beyond that, uh, compared to a lot of other Christmas movies, maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think it's that hot a take if you think about it. This is probably the happiest, least angst-ridden, and most upbeat Christmas movie in sort of the canon of holiday classics. I mean, look back at all the other movies that get shown around this time. I mean, if you take It's a Wonderful Life that opens with a guy committing suicide or, you know, A Miracle on 34th Street, we're going to put Santa in jail. Or, like, for some reason, it seems like the Christmas movies of the time felt like you had to put Christmas in peril. Well, we just watched... um... 
a couple uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Same thing. The dad in that movie is like constantly trying to get away from his family and everything is terrible. Like everything keeps going wrong at every turn. And then the one that you walked out of the other night was Santa um, Claus. Santa Claus. Because it's where, terrible. Where the divorced dad is nasty to his son and you know like talks badly about his ex-wife and then you know goes through this process of like getting the christmas spirit and being okay at the end they end at the end being okay and happy but some of the things that happen along the way are just really awful i mean other than the very short amount of time which is sort of a necessity for any comedy and a romantic comedy in particular where Bob and Betty break up. There's really no point in this. And and we as an audience have the benefit of dramatic irony, knowing that it's false. Like there's really nothing else in this movie that could even remotely be described as upsetting or offensive in any way. Well, except for the visual show. You understand. But I mean, like in yeah. terms of like trying to upset the audience. Yeah. yeah. So like this, this movie you know, goes down smooth, like vanilla ice cream that I've been trying to coat my throat with for the last three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we close, do you have, do you have any other thoughts about this podcast? Well, I've, as usual, really enjoyed spending this time with you. It's been really fun. And I really enjoy the guests that you were able to have on for us to kind of chat with and get their perspective of the movie. Um, it's always fun to kind of chat with other people and see what their favorite Christmas movie is and why it is and kind of like get a little bit of take on their thoughts about this movie. Um, and we've had a number of people that we work with that have, we've had fun conversations with them about um, white Christmas and also how, how they've incorporated it into their family life. That's always nice. I've enjoyed it. I've had a good time with you again. 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 What about you, Raj? Well, I mean, I think I would just piggyback on a lot of those thoughts. And so, you know, first and foremost, uh, I just want to give a hearty thank you to all the people who were gracious enough to come on. I'm not going to try to thank all of our guests by name because I will inevitably leave somebody out and uh, I don't want to do that. So um, I think I've really enjoyed all the guests that we have on, um, some people who I had never podcasted with before and, you know, frankly, who had never podcasted before and turned out to be great. You know, mm-hmm. I think if I had to single out one MVP from among our guest hosts, and this is like choosing my favorite child. So guests, I love you all the same. So just like I would probably say that Bentley was our MVP from Roadhouse Minute, and it's not an accident that he and I are now permanent co-host for Speed Movie Minute. I want to say that Susan Hill was an amazing guest, yeah, right? She was she, had, she came on with us for episode four and, you know, she was, we liked her so much that we just immediately brought her back for episode nine and she just kicked butt both times and all of our guests did too. So um, that was an amazing experience. Uh, I want to thank our listeners. So, you know, I, I, I was joking with you Um, I don't pretend that we are producing a fantastic podcast, but 
by the time this 12th episode airs, it is very possible that more people will have listened to the 12 episodes that make up the 12 days of White Christmas than the 114 episodes of Roadhouse Minute. That's and a commitment, that Roadhouse Minute podcast. No, it's not. But what, <laughs> it, what it does tell me is that people love themselves some Christmas. Yeah, they do. If you look at the the analytics, like right around December like 5th, which is I think when, um, you know, it's, it's when people start thinking about the holidays, people probably just went on their Spotify and they were like, shoot, what can I find that has to do with White Christmas? Because I know I was not promoting the podcast during that time. Hmm. We had 700 people listen to our trailer. And, you know, for the, it was a, it was a steadily shrinking number, but for the still more than a hundred people who listen to every episode, you know, we want to thank you. So honestly, uh, and I don't always say this about every podcast. If you liked the podcast, um, if you're one of those people that stayed with us until the end, uh, do us a favor, um, for this podcast that, you know, we produced for you, um, for free. Go on to Apple Podcasts and take 30 seconds to not just rate this podcast, but, you know, tell us why and tell the internet why. Because, you know, who knows? Hopefully this podcast will live on and maybe next December 5th, other people are going to come looking for it. And, um, you know, I'd love for them to find the same sort of enjoyment that you did with us this winter. Apart from that, uh, it was interesting to produce a podcast in such short notice, like it's December 23rd tonight. I'm going to stop recording with you and go edit and post a podcast less than 24 hours after recording it, which is not my style, but you know, the, the creeping miasma had its, had its grip on me. So there was nothing I could do. You're doing great, Roger. Well, the last thing I want to say, of course, is thank you to you. You bring so much knowledge and wisdom to all of these episodes. And I think, I think your greatest strength is helping me shine a little brighter. Um, you know, I, I think you have a special gift of sort of crafting the flow of the conversation to allow me to like drop all the knowledge. And I think uh, that's, uh, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, you bring a tremendous amount of thought and humor and wisdom to every episode. Thanks, Lovey. <laughs> so it was it was a real pleasure. I had a lot of fun doing it with you. It was a real pleasure to bring something that was so important to us as a family, to those of you who listen to it, which are sort of our greater internet family now. Um, and yeah, you know, who knows? I'm pretty sure that's the end of this experience. I don't think we're going to explore the white Christmas cinematic universe per se. Um, but, um, you know, if, if you've enjoyed listening to the two of us explore this movie, uh, let's, let's plug all the things. Um, you can listen, uh, go back and listen to Marcy and I on our, I guess it would be our sophomore effort technically, but really our first effort, uh, roadhouse minute where we break down the 1989 action classic roadhouse one minute at a time. And we, we are continuing to publish episodes that are part of the Roadhouse Cinematic Universe. That podcast feed will never die. Never die. It will just grow old like a fine wine. And if you really want to hear, you know, take it back to, to the roots, 
Um, there's another podcast that is sort of in cryostasis right now called I Think I Saw That, um, where we we look at movies, we try to remember what we remember about them, and then we watch them, and then we talk about them. And if you think Marcy, Marcy and I are funny on these podcasts, you should try that one out because it's great. That's all I've got. You got anything else, Marce? No, okay, let's wrap it up. All right, well, thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast, putting up with me and my voice. We hope that you've enjoyed these two weeks together with one of our favorite movies, and that you'll go back and listen to earlier episodes if you're just joining us for the first time today. Please, please rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Uh, thanks again. Bye now.